apply it to our lives, Lord. I pray we would have a sense of just discernment, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we uh, I pray, God, that we would truly have a ability to recognize how, how, how swift our days are, Lord, how fleeting and how fast they really are. I pray, Lord, we would live mindful of the race that you have put us in. God, that we would run the race according to how you've called us to live it and run it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you got your Bible this morning, if you'd open up to Hebrews chapter 12. We made it through Hebrews chapter 11. Took a lot longer than I thought it would, but uh, I don't know about you, but I pray that it was a huge blessing to you as we took time just to walk through and, and all of the different saints that we looked at in the Old Testament where we gained encouragement I remember uh, I was in sixth grade at, no, I was in seventh grade at Grace Baptist Academy. I had uh, just changed schools. It was a brand new school in Chattanooga, and it was a small school. And this particular school, they had a, they joined hands with a lot of other Christian schools across the state. And there was this Tennessee Association of Christian Schools. It was called TAX. And at the end of the year or in the middle of the second semester, there would be a competition I didn't understand it. I just remembered there was uh, academic, fine arts competitions. And because my dad was a pastor, I got put into the preaching competition that I had no desire to be in whatsoever. And I was just really frustrated I had to do this, but I, was, I, was, I took a lot of comfort in the fact that one of my best friends, Anthony, Anthony Smith was in there, and we both had no business being in this competition. But we were in it, and we had to come up with a sermon. And, and the gentleman that trained us was the school janitor, Mr. Schoon, who's now with the Lord. He was a big man. He was very intimidating. And uh, I, I'll never forget it. I've actually got a tape in my office somewhere of my sermon in seventh grade. And uh, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, it'll be up for bids if you want to bid on that. And, and I'll never forget, I, I didn't know what to preach on, so what did I do? I let my dad write my sermon, basically. I went to my dad, and I said, you got to help me. So he helped me out. And the passage that I attempted to preach from at this competition, I didn't understand it. It's weird to me to this day. We went to this school in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, at the Franklin Road Baptist Church, I think is what it was called. And in and, and that school, I remember we went into this room, and there was, there was a bunch of older men, probably my age, that I thought were old and ancient. And, and I sat up there and I had to get at a podium and they had like a score sheet. And, I, and, and the passage that I tried to preach from was 1 Corinthians 9, the passage that was read to you this morning by Scott. I wanna read it to you again and put it up here on the screens. Notice what he says. And uh, I need your help back there, Joy, if you'll help me. It's not for some reason letting me do anything. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We're used to going to, to games where doesn't it seem like you go to a college football game? And I remember as a kid, 
going to games. Uh, I was a Georgia fan. My dad was a big Tennessee fan. And I used to go to Neyland Stadium all the time as a kid. And I remember being in that stadium where there's, what, 22 people on the field and 100,000 people in the crowd that need to be out there and getting exercise more than the 22 on the field. Spectators. And I think one thing that it's cliche, we know this to be the case, but how often do we slide into a spectator mode as Christians? It becomes like a, uh, a buffet line where we sort of pick and choose our involvement within the church. And, and what we need to understand this morning is if you're a believer in Christ, I pray you're encouraged and inspired to understand you've been placed into a race. It's not a spectator sport. You're, you're in a race. We're called to run it by faith. And we're called to run it with endurance. We run this race observing the testimony of runners who've gone before us. And in order to run effectively, we have to remove the hindrances and the weight. We have to remove all of those encumbrances, all those entanglements, and we have to run looking to Jesus to guard against being weary and losing heart. This morning, the title of the message is Run with Endurance. Run with endurance. And everything that we've been looking at is building to this point. And look at chapter 12. I think this is a great example. And some people would argue, you know, all of the chapters and the verses are put in there by translators. There was no uh, mark where the author of Hebrews stopped and said, okay, this would be a good place to start chapter 12. And really, it probably would have been worth considering leaving this from the translators in chapter 11 to close out the chapter. Because what he's doing is he is now taking the very thrust of what he's been talking about in chapter 11, and he's wrapping it up. He's wrapping up the whole heart of it. Let's read it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we look at verses one through three, it's interesting because the key verb in this whole section is let us run with endurance. And there's a lot of uh, participles around the verb that really describe what it looks like to run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And what we're going to do this morning as we look at this whole idea of run with endurance, we're going to look at if we're going to run with endurance, it requires three actions. If we're going to run with endurance, it requires three actions. The first action that we're going to look at this morning is, number one, remember the witnesses. Remember the witnesses. Now, to get an idea of the context here, let's jump back to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is important when we look at Hebrews and, and notice this, he, he says in verse 36, now think about it, we spent a long time in chapter 11, but look at verse 36, this sets it up. For you have need of endurance, 
so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You have need of endurance. And how is he going to challenge? And how is he going to call these people who are tempted to go back to Judaism? How is he going to call them to endurance? Well, what he's going to do is he's going to take them back to their family album. He's going to take them back to the people of the Old Testament because these are Jewish people. And he's going to say, look, look at your forefathers. Look at the people that have come before you. And let's look and learn from their life, not only as to how they lived it and how they walked before God, but let's look at the pattern in which they lived. Let's look at how God ministered to them. Let's look at the only way they could live this life was by faith. And then he gets into chapter 11. At the very end of chapter 11, he mentions this, this massive closure that what we are experiencing in the new covenant was actually what these people longed to experience. We experienced that which was better. We, we experienced the fulfillment of all that they longed for. They were looking towards the cross. We were looking back to it. We we're all saved by grace through faith. So we've got to consider that. Look at the examples that we went through. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. He mentions the people of Israel, the, you know, the, the Israelites. And he mentioned them not only leaving through the Red Sea, but the victory at Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. And then he lists all those circumstances in verse 32 to verse 35 of chapter 11 that really conjures up memories of Daniel, you know, memories of other prophets, of Elijah and Elisha. And all of those stories, what is he doing? He's calling us to see this whole examples of faith that have gone before us. And what's his purpose that we might endure? He's calling the recipients to continue to persevere, to endure faithfully, to look to God, to keep going. It's interesting because in verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that therefore really is so impactful because he's sort of culminating everything we've seen in chapter 11. And then he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, when we think about a cloud of witnesses, the word cloud, it really just means a crowd. Since we are surrounded by a crowd of witnesses, this phrase is interesting and, and very likely something you've read before or heard before. Often when we hear this verse, what we think about is this image of an amphitheater, and we think about people in the crowd that are cheering us on. The word gives possibility for that meaning. I don't think it's the primary meaning, though. I don't think the idea is that Abraham and Elijah and Elisha and Gideon and Barak are all up in heaven and they're cheering us on, although there's possibility that because of all that's involved with their future glorification taking place, when we finish the race and all that God will bring into his kingdom will be culminated, there's a sense of that, but I don't think it's the primary meaning. This idea of witnesses is the word we get martyr from. I um, was looking at some commentators, and, and, and I was looking at just some, some old commentators, some new commentators. Calvin said that, we're surrounded by this crowd, 
that wherever we turn our eyes, many examples of faith immediately meet us. The idea not so much that they are watching us, but where to look to them. The, the, the principle here would be that the meaning would, as David Allen says, would be their lives have borne witness to their faith. When we look at chapter 11, we're looking at people that lived a life and it points us to the reality of what faith looks like. We're surrounded by people that have gone before us. And, and it's exciting to think about the mystery of heaven and these people not being dead and gone, but being fully alive in the presence of God. And so I was reading in one commentator because some are very harsh on the idea of people watching, but there's some very respected commentators that at least include that idea. One gentleman named Westcott, he says, these champions of old time occupy the place of spectators, but listen to this, but they are far more than spectators. They are spectators who interpret to us the meaning of our struggle and who bear testimony to the certainty of our success if we strive lawfully. I love those words. I was talking to a dear brother in the Lord who's going through so many things. And I, you can probably relate. Maybe today you're going through a lot of stuff and your heart is heavy and you're finding yourself struggling with the idea of enduring. And what I mean by persevering is just keeping walking by faith because the trials that you're going through, you're finding that you're losing heart and you're growing weary. So you come today and you got a little bit of, uh, you're wounded. You're wounded in what's happening to you. So when you hear somebody say, hey, God calls you to endure, you're challenged by that. I was dealing with this dear brother and all that he's faced and all that he's gone through. And I was thinking about him and I'm gonna use this with my brother and I was thinking, you know, what is Hebrews 11 for? It's not this museum where we walk around and, you know, we look and we go, wow, isn't that amazing? Aren't you excited about the story of Gideon? And aren't you amazed at Abraham where we all just sort of, these are great stories. And then we go out of the museum and on to the next thing. No, like we've been talking about, when, when we look at Hebrews 11, we're picking up the family album. We're picking up the family album, and as we pick up the family album, they are testifying to us of the faithfulness of God. They are examples to us. They are speaking to us about the life of faith. They are speaking to us about not only the triumphs, but they're speaking about the endurance through the tough times. They're speaking about perseverance. And we have to be careful because we're all gonna face suffering. Many of you are going through suffering right now. But one thing you need to do when you are thinking about this race called the Christian life, and you're thinking about the call to run with endurance, you have to understand God has called you to look to the witnesses. Look to the witnesses, examine their life, and understand what they are testifying to you today. What they're testifying to you in the midst of your trial, I tell you, it's, uh, I used to hear that, you know, before you get to certain passages, when you look at a lot of passages in a book that you're preaching through, there's certain ones that just pop out at you and you're like, I can't wait to get to that one. 
I can't wait to teach on that one. But a lot of times you got a lot of spade work to go through. And I, I pray that one thing that happens is we don't waste the spade work. We've been in here a long time. You see, God uses the classroom to bring us into the laboratory. I remember uh, I wasn't really good at chemistry. I took it at Macaulay and at Bryan College, and I didn't like chemistry, but I loved the lab. I used to get in trouble in lab. And you remember those things they call, isn't this what they call them, the Bunsen burners? Remember the Bunsen burners? And, uh, and you can do some crazy things in a lab. You get in a lab, and, and all these things you're doing are actually putting into practice what you've been learning theoretically in the classroom in chemistry. You get into the lab, and the lab is working out what you're learning. I want to read you something that really fired me up. So, so in this prayer update, listen to some of this. I think sometimes we just fail to, we fail to connect the dots. Some of you don't, and, and I want to encourage you. I see examples of, of God working his work in you. I, I've watched so many of you suffer, and I've watched so many of you go through trial. I want to encourage you. I see the grace of Christ working in you. So when we look at this, I want to encourage you, those that are running and, you, and you're seeking to look to Christ, you're seeking to be reminded of the saints of old, you're seeking to put aside the weights, all those things that can entangle you, I want to say keep going, keep running, keep looking to Jesus. But all of those right now that just find yourself weary, tempted to lose heart, I want to remind you of what this whole concept of the classroom to the lab looks like. I was looking at this prayer update, and listen to this. This is amazing. Um, this is what one individual said over the last few hours over in the world where we're looking at all the devastation. A pastor and trainer said, these days are very hard for us as war is in our country. But listen to what it goes on to say. God prepared us as we studied 10 days ago the book of Job. Now I teach pastors in my region this wonderful book. Churches in my area study this book. We organize to help refugees. The book of Job help us to understand how to suffer and serve those who suffer. We all need comfort. And, and you know what's exciting to me about that? It's like there's an individual who's gone through the classroom but as they've gone through the classroom, they've not only learned about the historical, grammatical, all of the things in the context, but what they've understood by the power of the Holy Spirit is that God is calling us to live in light of what we're learning. And there they are in the middle of war, and they're looking to God's word for answers, and they're looking for God's word to be growing in their faith, and there they are running after the Lord. I was looking at another one. Our men are constantly shuttling women and children to safe areas. At our Bible study this morning, Andrew, who graduated last summer from mission school and planted a church, said, thank you for mission school, which equipped us for a time like this. I transport our people to safe places. The night came and dangerous to drive. I talked to a pastor and explained the situation, and he welcomed all of us in his home. It is wonderful to see how God gives us courage and strength to go by faith as we apply what we learned. And here's my encouragement to you. I look at those examples and they encourage my faith because I want you to think about this. God has put you in this study for no accident. It's on purpose. 
What is it in your life that possibly you're not connecting the dots as to how God wants you to implement what you're learning? How is God calling you to faithfully endure, to faithfully persevere, to walk by faith? What situation is it? I was telling, I was talking to a friend yesterday, and I don't know about you, but it's amazing. You know, walking by faith goes as far as what is the biggest crisis you're facing in your life right now? It may be very minimal. Trials come in various shades, don't they? Various colors of trials. And your trials may be a much different color than many people are facing right now in the world. But trials nonetheless are used by God to shape us in our journey, in our race, to look to him. And I want to ask you something. As you go through trials, are you connecting the dots? What is your biggest struggle you're facing? Because your walk of faith will be proportionate to your greatest struggle right now. Are you willing to die to yourself? Are you willing to submit to God's word? Are you willing to walk by faith and trust and depend him in that struggle? Because here is the harsh reality, but one that God is inviting us to see is that if we're not willing to trust him in those areas, how are we gonna trust him in other areas? It's in those areas where the rubber hits the road. It's in those areas where we are invited along with all the saints to see the sufficiency of our great high priest. So what are we dealing with this morning? What are we facing? And here we see that they're called to put it into action. The first requirement here that the Lord is calling us to walk by, three actions. Number one, remember the witnesses. But number two, lay aside the entanglements. Lay aside the entanglements. Now, what does it mean, lay aside? This phrase is used in Romans, lay aside the deeds of darkness. In Ephesians, lay aside the old self. Lay aside falsehood. In Colossians 3.8, lay aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. In James, lay aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In 1 Peter 2, lay aside all guile and hypocrisy. You see that phrase over and over. It's used of taking off a garment. If you got a jacket on, you take that jacket off and you put it aside. You're laying it aside. And so now what he's doing is he's calling them. He's saying, look, if you're going to run with endurance, consider the people before you. Consider the witnesses and what they've testified to you of the goodness and the grace of God. But then he says, look, make sure you are putting aside all the extra weight. Make sure you're putting aside the entanglements. This becomes pretty obvious, and it gets exciting thinking about the culture of the day that the author was writing in. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, and they understood the games. They understood the races. And this was obviously a, a, a metaphor that they could understand. To, to examine these words, lay it aside. The encumbrance means that which is a weight or a burden or an impediment. Lay aside every encumbrance. And then he says, and the sin which so easily entangles us. You know, here, what is he speaking of? I mean, it, it could be any of the ones mentioned in those other passages where he talks about specific sin to lay aside. It could be that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind a sin that is literally hindering you from walking in the fullness of what you have in Christ. Lay it aside. Put it aside. He could be speaking generally of the sin of unbelief. 
the sin of unbelief because whatever is not of faith is sin. And what we learn is, is when unbelief is dominating the way we live, or at least is coming in and we're tempted to go with it, it's the very thing that's hindering from walking in, in what we have in Christ. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. That word entangle is that idea of, you know, being tripped up. It, it's the idea that you are, you are, you're tangled up and you can't move, you, you, you can't get going. You know, back in the day, I was looking at a, uh, an example of how this works itself out. I mean, when they would run, they would basically take off everything they could. They didn't want anything hindering them in the race. It's like when you get into a race, you got to make sure you can move. You got to make sure you got the lightest shoes. You got to make sure that you can go. I was reading one commentary. What is removed is first anything that hinders one from doing something, hence a weight, burden, or impediment. The suggestions as to what this impediment might be include clothing, objects carried in training, excess body weight, but the qualifying adjective, every shows that our author did not have any particular hindrance in mind. Any and every impediment that would handicap a runner was to be cast aside. I want you to think about how that applies to your spiritual life. Lay aside every encumbrance. I was reading another pastor here. He says it like this. The race of the Christian life is not fought well or run well by asking what's wrong with this or that but by asking, is it in the way of greater faith and greater love and greater purity and greater courage and greater humility and greater patience and greater self-control? Not, is it a sin, but does it help me run? Is it in the way? He goes on, he says, don't ask about your music, your movies, your parties, your habits. What's wrong with it? Ask, does it help me run the race? You remember Romans 13? Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What's hindering you today? What's an encumbrance to you? Again, you know, th there's many possible examples of what this could be. Man, I remember growing up and uh, the example I watched work itself out in my father's life was uh, I learned real quick that he told me that he was, he'd go bass fishing every time he could possibly go. It wasn't that bass fishing was sin, but it was something that was hindering him in his walk with Christ. He was on the lake every time he could be on the lake. He picked youth retreats wherever there was the best lakes. So the youth could go to their retreat and he could fish all night. Is there anything in your life like that? You know, it's interesting because think about all the good things that we do. I think one struggle that we all have as parents, those that are parents, is, is like there's a lot of good things our kids can do. But have you ever thought about it? Isn't it a challenge and isn't it something we need to pray for each other about? We can get our kids so involved in good things that we actually deter them from following Christ. We can look back and say, oh, I'm so glad I gave my kids those opportunities but those opportunities ultimately might be the very thing that hindered them from walking with God. 
it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you take things that are on the surface good. You take hobbies that are on the surface good. You take activities that are on the surface good. But what he speaks of here is, look, don't let anything be an impediment and don't let anything deter you from what God is calling you to do. And here's the comfort in this. The Holy Spirit reproves us in his word. The Holy Spirit speaks. You know, I, I'm not the one that's going to bring conviction in your life. If it's something that I bring, it won't last and it won't lead to anything healthy. But one thing we can do is we can humble ourselves because I think the reason why this hits home is because we all can relate to things in our life that are impediments, things in our life that are hindrances. And what we can do, what we can encourage one another to do is say, hey, why don't we go to the Lord and rather than go like this, go like this. And say, God, would you show me, would you reveal to me the things in my life? I tell you, it's an easy application, but wow, I mean, it's a challenge. And social media can be a hindrance. I talk to more and more people, and it takes one to know one, where you can find yourself wasting a lot of time in life on things that are not necessarily bad. And here's what we look at here. And, and, and the author of Hebrews is saying, look, make sure that you're going to the Lord and you're examining your heart in light of what to lay aside. And then he uses a specific term in the sin. And I mentioned that to you. What is the sin that so easily entangles you? What are the impediments? What are the things that are hindering you? What are the entanglements? Go before God. I love 2 Timothy 3.16 because it's a promise. It's a command. I mean, it's not a command, but it's a truth that we can hold on to. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? for teaching, for reproof. There's healing in that word. God's faithful by the power of the Holy Spirit to point out what we need to know and how we need to live. And he shows us where we're off the track. And then he says the, the key phrase here, and run with endurance. This idea of endurance is the idea of bearing up under tough circumstances, long suffering, enduring when it's hard enduring when it's really difficult to persevere. You think about running and, uh, you know, having boys that run now, I, I've, I've learned so much about it, but I never ran. I mean, I, I played sports, but I never was good at running. And anytime I was in a race more than a mile, it was just brutal, brutal. You know, you're looking at it going, how in the world am I to get done? And one thing I've really admired runners is when you go to a race and the race is a long race and you're watching them push themselves to the nth degree, and they got to keep going. They got to keep enduring. They got to keep persevering. He's using this imagery. He's calling these precious Christians. Now think about it. Tie it all together. Here they are, and they're tempted to go back to Judaism. He spends all these chapters speaking about the supremacy of Jesus. He comes in there, and he now he just really bolsters all of his talk with the examples of those that have gone before him. And now he's calling them. He's saying, look, look to the witnesses. Put aside the entanglements over and over. Endure, endure, keep going. I tell you, I read something on Twitter the other day that really moved me. It was speaking about the Ukrainian Baptist Seminary. And, and, and a gentleman was echoing what he experienced when he went over there in 2008 in the Eastern Europe. And, and he said that a man was looking at an inscription and the American called the translator over and he said, what is that on that inscription on the wall? Because on the wall was a, a picture of older bearded men 
and there was something worded underneath it. So the guy says, what is that? And the translator says, look, he says, it's Hebrews 13, verse 7. And it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The picture on the wall were past presidents of the Ukrainian Baptist Union. Except for the current president, every one of them had died in a prison camp. It goes on, it says, for more than a century to be elected president of the Baptist Union in Ukrainian was a death sentence. And then it says, no man ever turned it down. Endure, endure, persevere. We think of the most extreme enduring perseverance when we think about martyrdom, but I want you to think about something. As a Christian, you're not going to only go through the triumphs of faith. You're going to go through the perseverance of faith. You're going to go through suffering. How are you going to live? How are you going to walk? He says, look, consider the testimony. Put aside all that weighs you down. Remember the witnesses. Lay aside the entanglements. Thirdly, fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. I've told you this story before, but I ran track one year really in sixth grade, and it was an interesting experience. Brainerd Baptist School in Chattanooga, off Moore Road there. And I'll never forget, I ran the 200. I wasn't good at the 200. I ran the 400. I wasn't good at the 400. I did high jump. I wasn't great at the high jump. I was just an average guy track. But the experience of all experiences that I literally have memories of in my mind right now, I was in the 200. I think we were at Boyd Buchanan School. And, uh, and I was at the 200. And, and you know, you, you sort of size up everybody in your uh, heat. Or I guess it was the, I think this was the only shebang. This was it. There was about how many lanes, I can't remember. But we were all out there. And, and, and something crazy happened in this race. So, I mean, the 200, you got to fly. You got to go the whole way. And, and I jumped out of there, and I was moving. I was probably in, like, third or fourth place. And all of a sudden, this kid, I don't know what he did, but he tripped. He tripped, and it was, like, unbelievable because he tripped, and another kid tripped. And then another kid tripped. And I, remember, I just remember there was kids, like, screaming, and there was blood. And, and everybody sort of got, you know, moved around. And then it was like there was, like, two or three of us left. And I was like, here is my chance to shine. And I mean, I started going. I could hear like chariots of fire in the background. And there's a, there was a dear lady named Wanda Parrish. She's now with the Lord. And this woman could scream. And she was that lady at the ball games that you hear and you're playing in big gyms. I could hear her everywhere in basketball. But at the track, I could hear her at the track meet too. And I remember her going, come on, Stephen. Come on, Stephen. She was yelling at me. And I was, I was like thinking, I'm, I hear you, Wanda. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm going. <laughs> And I was flying. It's a pretty anticlimactic story because I finished second out of third. <laughs> I didn't get the guy, but I got second, even though four of the best runners were on the track. <laughs> but you know, you, you come around that, uh, that final turn or you're now, you're now 100 out instead of 200. And you're looking, at the, you're looking at the tape and you're looking at the finish line. And they always tell you, don't look left, don't look right, look straight on, get everything out of it. And here he's calling them as simplistic as it may seem, but how profound is it? He's saying to them, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And look at how he describes Christ, the author and perfecter of faith 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love this because it's as if he's saying, look, remember, allow the, the testifying words of these martyrs, of these saints that have gone before us to encourage your faith. But remember, don't ever look past the Lord Jesus Christ. Look right at him. Fix your eyes on Christ. And what, who is Christ? He, he goes through this. He says he's the author. He's the perfecter, the author, the originator, the founder, the leader, the chief. I was reading uh, one commentator. He's the one on whom our faith is founded. He's the cornerstone and the capstone. He's the unshakable ground on which our hope and salvation rest. Are you weary today? Are you weary? Are, are you just overwhelmed with con- just moving and running well right now? Look to Christ. You look to Christ. He is the cornerstone. He's the founder. And it says not only he's the author, but he's the perfecter. And it literally is not so much he's the perfecter of our faith. It really is the sense that he's the perfecter of faith. He is the perfecter of faith. And it means that he's the one that brings it to completion. He's the one that enables it to reach its goal. He's the founder. Uh, The same commentator, it was Al Mohler, said he finisher, the one who completed it. Christ's work was perfect when he said it is finished. And when the father honored his obedience by raising him from the dead, Christ's work is still perfect today. As the author is made abundantly clear, Jesus continues to act as our mediator and will succeed in bringing his people home. In other words, Christ has done all things necessary to secure our salvation and he will see his work through to the end. And because he's the perfecter of faith, do you feel low in the gas tank? on faith today, I've been there before where I didn't feel like I could gain any more faith. Be encouraged. He's the perfecter of faith. He's the one that through the power of his spirit, he enables it. I love that. Are you weak today? Are you sensing you can't go forward? You've got some great admonishment here in the Lord. You've got some great encouragement in the Lord where he says, look, don't neglect or forget the witnesses that are testifying to you the answer. Put aside the sin, put aside the entanglements, put aside the weight and run with endurance, focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on him. He's the author and the perfecter. And what did he do? He joyfully endured through suffering. Wow. It's amazing because when you get into James, you start to learn there's a difference between just enduring and enduring with joy. You can sort of grin and bear it, right? But, but, but here's a picture of how can we joyfully endure? Well, it's going to require that we are empowered by our great high priest. And when we get into a situation where we can't go on, yes, consider the testimony of all the saints before us, but look to Christ. Look to Christ. And what did Jesus do? He joyfully endured through the suffering. And we read it, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love thinking of it in the most simplistic of ways. When I feel like I can't endure, Christ lives in me and he is the one who faithfully endured. And now through the resurrection power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will enable me to persevere. You may be thinking, but what if I face this? What if I face this? What, what about our dear brothers and sisters in the Lord that are dealing with that reality this morning where they're separated from their husbands or these dear Christian ladies with their children that are in Christ Jesus tempted to think, how can I make it? How can I persevere? The, the principle and the beauty of this, of this hope is that it will not only sustain us in the most amazing of tragedies and difficult situations, but the, but the promise is that through Christ, he will enable us to continue, enable us to persevere, enable us to endure. He looked ahead, it brought him joy. We are to look ahead and it brings us joy because what do we learn in Romans chapter eight? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Isn't that one of the big themes of all of Hebrews 11, where the people are focusing on what God has promised them in the future, yet even though they haven't fully realized those promises, they are putting their hope and their faith in what God said he would deliver on. And it brings joyful endurance. We see in this passage what we see in Peter's epistles about suffering precedes glory. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says that. You know, we see this idea, or it demonstrates that. The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The glory that Jesus Christ experienced there after the ascension and his exaltation to the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, and he finishes off, consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You look to Christ, and he was the one who endured hostility. You look to Christ, he faithfully trusted his father. You look to Christ, you see all of the truths, and now you see the wonder of who he is, the God-man, who he is, who now lives in us, enabling us. Consider him. Grow weary and losing heart are fascinating terms. Grow weary is the idea of you're, you're weary from constant work. You, you, you get to a place of just being just overwhelmed, faint-hearted. You grow weary. You, you're weak and feeble. The, the idea of losing heart is similar. It, it means to you're overwhelmed again. It's the idea of you're about to faint. You're, you're just overwhelmed. But we look to Jesus. So what do we see this morning? Three calls to action. Remember the witnesses. Lay aside the entanglements. Fix our eyes on Jesus. So today, as we close in prayer, keep going. Keep running. Keep running. Keep running. Look to Christ. Look back at the saints. As you look to Christ, he gives great wisdom and guidance as to what to put aside. 
as Romans says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Are you burdened and weighted down today? Is it like you're wearing a big pair of boots as you're getting ready for a long race? Are you wearing a big jacket? Are you wearing all these other clothes? You got backpacks on. You got all kinds of different entanglements that literally are hindrances and weights on you. This morning, the scripture is calling us to say, lay them aside, lay them aside. And today we're called to submit our hearts and our minds and our lives to Christ. Would you bow your head? As you bow your head this morning, how's God calling you to respond? As you bow your head this morning, how's God calling you to repent? Where is it in your life right now that you're neglecting walking by faith? What is it that's hindering you? What are the things in your life that are really just not profitable for you when it comes to running the race well? What is the sin that the Holy Spirit is clearly pointing out to you in your life? God is calling you to lay aside. This morning, have you, have you grown weary and lost heart? It points to that reality, not only of hindrances, but it points to the reality of not looking unto Christ and fixing our eyes on Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you how we through your spirit working amongst us, Lord, we, we need each other. We need the body of Christ that you've provided. And Lord, we can relate to hindrances, Lord. We can relate to the sin that so easily entangles us. We can relate to temptations of weariness and losing heart. Lord, I, I pray, God, that, that we would see that, that we are a community of faith that need to encourage one another. Lord, I pray that rather than using this as a temptation of self-righteousness where we push others down, I pray that it would call us and encourage us to pray for one another, to come alongside those that are hurting, those that are going through a great, great trial, those who are going through great episodes of pain and suffering. And Lord, I pray that by your grace, we would be encouragers within this church. Thank you, Lord, that you're a faithful high priest. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us as orphans. But Lord, you, you, you equip us, God. You, you've given us your word. You, you've given us faithful testimony to the truth of your word. And Lord, now you live within us. And God, through the power of what you bring in the new covenant, through the ministry of your indwelling spirit, Lord, God, you enable us to walk by faith and keep going when it's hard. And Lord, I pray today we would see your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.